Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Good afternoon to you. A warm welcome from all of us here at The Call. Ten stocks picked by you, two expert guests, all in the course of an hour for Friday, the 27th of May. I'm Nadine Blaney. Well, we're in for a treat. On today's show, here for the full hour and sitting beside me, Luke Winchester from Meriwether Capital and Claude Walker from A Rich Life. Guys, welcome. How are you doing today? Good, Nadine. Good to be in the studio. And you? Yeah, it's great to be here. I'm not wasting any time because these guys can talk and they will be talking amongst <laughs> themselves, I think, for a large part of this program. We will be discussing Ramsey Health, Energy One, Levisa, Pure Profile and PTB Group, ticker code PTB. But before we do that, as per usual, let's get to the stock of the day. But we do put a spin on it often on a Friday. And now that the new government has been sworn in, or at least it looks as if the Labour government is heading to a majority, one of our viewers emailed us wanting to know from the experts what their top pick is to benefit after a change of government with Labour in place for the first time in a decade. So we thought, thank you, by the way, for the suggestion. We thought, why not? Let's do it with these guys here with me in studio right now. So yeah, Luke, this time last week, we were all, who's gonna win? Who are you gonna mm. vote for? What's the sausage sizzle gonna be like? But we pretty much know the outcome now. Is there a company that you think could really stand to benefit from a change in government? Yeah, look, I've come with a company, but I think Claude and I attacked this from a similar angle. And I think most investors would as well, which is, the outcome of that election, it's been said, was a mandate on climate change. And so I think that was the big theme I took from the election, that the government and the policies that they will you know, come out from with this election will, um, will really drive that, that decarbonisation. Um, wait and see what forms that takes, but there's certainly some businesses on the ASX better positioned to take advantage of that. So one that I'll float up, look, I'll, I'll clarify, I don't own it. Okay. Um, it actually got raised on the call when Claude and I were on a few weeks ago called Genus Plus. Um, GNP is the ticker. About 200 real market cap, so it's a bit smaller for your more conservative investors. Um, and these guys are like a, a service provider for, for power and telecoms industry. So um, they're involved in the construction and maintenance of um, substations, power lines, and, and you know the electrical and the telco grid. Now, um, Maybe viewers are able to go back and listen to the summary yeah, that we can. gave back then. Just um, have to search on the website yeah, under the a, name or ticker code. Yeah, had a lot of good features of the business you like to look for. Founder led, um, recent IPO, but no sell downs from the from the founder. Bought some more on market. There's a lot of things that you look for. But to bring it back to the election, um, <clears throat> Claude will probably elaborate a bit further. But I think the explosion that we'll see of renewable energies at a decentralised level to the to the power grid means that businesses like this could really benefit, um, you know, constructing the extra substations, power lines, you know, all that you need to make sure that um, these new smaller scale renewable projects are able to connect to the grid and get power where it needs to be. So 
Like I said, I don't own it. I think it's an interesting idea. It's one that if you're looking for that sort of election beneficiary, have a, have a bit of a dig into. Um, and all of the other good things that I like about businesses as well. Um, and, and one final point I will say is I'm a bit wary of fixed price contractors right now. These guys sort of avoid that a little bit because they're more around that maintenance and... Um, and um, service rather than the, the big construction. Genus Plus, GNP, is one to chew over if you're looking for a company that may benefit now that we've got a Labour government in place. Claude, it's your company. Um, well, my company. I know you were torn. <laughs> yeah, well, I, well, quickly before I get onto my company, I just want to add since we last talked about Genus Plus, there was a big half million dollar buy by a director just like last week. And that's a big enough purchase for me to have to say, like, oh, I think that that probably is a positive and so I have to say I'd be more positive on Luke's idea now than I was when we last uh, when it last came up um, yeah so my idea uh, well so first of all we're going to talk about uh, a company that I own and really like and think is well positioned to benefit from this exact theme which is energy one um, and actually that would be my favorite choice but I'll put that aside for now and come up with another one just to uh, get in the spirit of it which I don't own but I also think is very interesting um, called Gen X now basically Gen X is a essentially an infrastructure company that has been building um, solar plus also um, this sort of solar storage. Um, now, they have a battery plan that they're doing, but on top of that, they also have this like, long-term project that they've been working with pumped hydro. So essentially, you use the solar energy uh, to pump you know, water to a higher spot, and then when you need to release that, you can, you can do so. Now, these guys recently, um, you know, they are very good for that sort of ESG thematic. And as a result, I think that their share price has historically been always quite high um, relative to what they're actually worth. And um, in the more recent times, you can see the share prices uh, come down a long way because they've had to raise capital at about 15 cents per share. And the reason they've had to raise capital is because this is super capital intensive um, projects they're doing. And in fact, one of the only reasons they've managed to get this off the ground is because they've received subsidized debt from um, the North Australian um, infrastructure Fund and mm -hmm. the Clean Energy Finance Corporation. And given the uh, continuity and availability of government subsidised low interest debt is sort of so key to what these guys are doing, I have a hunch and would suspect that it's quite likely that under a Labor government, especially when you've got, look, at the moment I think we're at 75 seats for Labor. So if it just does happen that they need one more seat, well, the Teals and the Greens are all in favour of renewable energy. So it's hard to see that we don't have a government that's much more um, encouraging of renewable energy. So these guys should be a direct beneficiary of that. Now, the flip side of it is I consider this stock quite speculative because even though it does have um, receipts from customers and revenue and it should benefit from energy cost inflation, um, it still just has so much spending to do and its market cap is like a little bit around 200 million, I think. And it has debt that's almost already double that. So when you have a company that's actual equity value is low compared to its debt, the value of that equity can swing around massively um, as the enterprise value of the company changes. So very high risk one, but it's got its recent capital raise. It's now got perhaps a more favorable regulatory environment, I would say for a sort of sociological, speculative and um, you know, medium term trade, it might be quite interesting. Just quickly, and I know it might be oversimplifying things, but what would it take for you to buy Gen X? Mm, that's a tough one. Um, it's sort of outside of my usual uh, wheelhouse. So what I'd be looking for is some kind of, so I've given you the medium trade thesis. Yeah. I'd probably want to find some shorter term catalyst. So 
I need a sentence where I say, I think if I buy shares now, someone's going to buy them off me at a higher price in three months, six months, 12 yeah. months time. And that's because it's not that kind of high quality business that I'm willing to just buy and be like, all right, I'm going to hold yeah. this for the long term and go on the compounding journey, multi-year, multi-bagger, high quality stocks. It's not there yet. I need a, I need more catalysts. Interesting. And then same question to you, uh, Genis Plus. So again, you're saying, I don't own it. What would it take for you to be interested in owning mm. it? Here's a good question. Um, look, for me, it probably just needs a bit of a trading history. It's a recent IPO. I think there's a lot of things to like about it. And as Claude points out, meaningful director on market buying in the right space. Um, <clears throat> you know, I think for most investors, we like to see a couple of reporting periods. And if you've got guidance out in the market, mm-hmm. you, know, you can hit that consistently. So maybe maybe that's probably the main the main thing. But it's certainly high on my sort of research list to, to really dig into and have a look at for sure. Good. All right, guys, thanks for that. Let's get to the companies that have been nominated by our viewers. If you've written in, I hope yours is on the list. If not, don't be shy to send us another email about another company either. It's the call at osbiz.com.au. Let's get to it for Liv, Ramsey Healthcare, RHC is the ticker code. She says, look, I know there's a takeover bid, but any thoughts on Ramsey and maybe an alternative in the space because healthcare is an area I'd like to be invested in. Claude, I'll start with you on Ramsey Healthcare. Right, well, actually, this is one that I own some shares in at the moment. Uh, you know, essentially, as people that have sort of read my website would know, the, the core strategy I have is um, long-term high-quality growth stocks. But obviously, with the interest rates rising, it's been an unfavorable environment for the last six months. And indeed, I would say that unfavorable environment for those kind of businesses, or at least their stock prices, rather, is going to persist for at least probably another six months. So as a result, I've been doing much more special situations um, and you know that includes these sort of takeover arbitrages. So Ramsey has a bid for it at $88 a share, and the current share price is you know $77, $78 per share. So the basic theory is you, you if you believe that the takeover will go ahead, you, as I have done, I buy some shares at you know a bit under $80, and then just sort of sit there, and I'm not going to get some massive life-changing win out of it. But when I've got a lot of cash sitting on the sidelines, which I do at the moment, I've just got my cash pile waiting for, you know, true, I want to see, you know, bankruptcies and um, funds closing down and all of the real signs that the market is truly in distress before I like start deploying really aggressively. And I'll just deploy my cash as I go. In the meantime, these kind of things are a great way to get a better, for me, a, a better return than just sitting it in mm-hmm. the bank on 2%, 1%, whatever. Um, and so with Ramsey in particular, you have to think about what are the risks and opportunities for like this actually going through. Now, I think, um, you know, one key aspect of it is that the price that, um, you know, this, these, the takeover is pitched at is sort of in line with comparable healthcare businesses, right? So it's not a crazy high price that implies like say with Appen, you know, this $9.50 a share is really high for a labor hire company. It, in, it implies that the they think it's not a labor hire company. But this is, seems to be priced appropriately. Maybe we're talking about Appen and that bid that was made for it. Maybe they realized yeah, in and then the course they of the day. The that, next day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. So, um, but I don't think that's going to happen with Ramsey because the price seems about right for what is a high quality company that has grown over many years and is in a defensive industry of healthcare. And on top of that, um, you have a situation uh, where basically the major risks, as I understand it, are like in the various areas that um, Ramsey operates through, like France, Australia, and other places, there could be some competition concerns. Like, so the regulators might withhold their mm. approval of the um, 
takeover and that might probably explain the fact that the share price is trading well below the takeover price but then the thing that makes me want to actually buy it is because if you have a difficulty with the regulator saying no there's competition concerns sometimes you could solve that by just agreeing to divest a small part of the business just Mm. to keep the regional competition strong or something like that so i would see that as yeah that could be a barrier and it could make the deal fall over but also it might be something that the company can solve and work with and then you still get the takeover. So that's why for me, this is a reasonable, and it's not the only takeover arbitrage I'm doing at the moment, right? The idea is I think that on average, I'm, I can pick the ones that will actually go through or have a higher chance of going through. I'm definitely not buying Appen or EML or any of these mm. kind of crazy ones. So um, this is a good quality company. And finally, we've got a situation where you've got this backlog of elective yeah. surgeries, which should benefit Ramsey, so that's another reason for the takeover to go ahead. So, so I'm calling it a buy. Yeah, yeah, you. yeah. Definitely. Would you agree with that thesis, Luke? Um, I, I probably didn't think about it from a buy, hold, sell point of view, given the takeover bid. But if you're someone who is wanting to play an arbitrage, I, I don't mind it. Um, to Claude's points, it's a private equity buyer, not a not a trade buyer. So it probably does de-risk the competition issues, given you're not combining, you know regional hospital businesses in there. It's just, you know, switching the ownership to a private equity. Um, I think there's a very logical rationale for them to try and take Ramsey off the public market. As Claude points out, the earnings uncertainty you've had since COVID does really look to maybe be starting to to play itself out now, Uh, but that's not being reflected in the market price. We saw the chart there. It's sort of unchanged since COVID. So if that pent up, I don't want to call it demand because it's it's hospitals, you know, but if that pent up elective surgery um, does come through, then, then, you know, um, that should be reflecting the share price, which is not. So that's where private equity comes in and and sort of is the the more Mm -hmm. rational longer term uh, money. I found it interesting just looking at the chart more than the business, it initially went to $84 when the deal, when the first bid was announced. That That's your normal sort of takeover premium, that sort of 4 or 5% just for you know the, the smaller risks you face. It's come off a little bit, which maybe, I don't know whether that's just the market sell-off we've had. Um, there was a, a third quarter update, which was okay. It wasn't great. Um, so I'm not sure whether the market's maybe thinking now there's a bit of a risk that A, it doesn't come through, or B, what I think is probably more likely KKR come back with maybe a bit of a lowered bid. Maybe they yeah. lower that to 84 or something like that, just on that weekend Saving market volatility. Saving market volatility, exactly, exactly. Like, you know, the market's probably off 10% since they, they lobbed that bid. Um, so on behalf of Liv, um, that's sort of the story with Ramsey Healthcare, but she's saying maybe an alternative in the space because she really would like to be in healthcare. Mm. Do you have a preferred company? I think the, the two obvious ones, if, especially if you want to focus on that large cap healthcare, CSL and Cochlear, I, I think they're, they're the really obvious ones. You come down a bit further to a ResMed, but I think ResMed is much higher multiple, a bit more volatile. I think CSL and Cochlear just have that long proven history for, you know, I'm, I'm going to guess that Liv's a bit more of a conservative investor given she's in Ramsey. Um, so they're the, they're the two I would you know, sort of flag as an idea. Got it. Thank you. Let's move on from that for Pat and for Claude, let's be honest. Let's talk about Energy One. EOL is the ticker code. He's been following it for a long period. It's retraced to the lower fives. More of a risk-seeking investor and understand that illiquidity can be an issue, but he likes the business, strong margins, continued acquisition. So is this an appropriate price to start building a position or worthwhile waiting, I suppose, again, in this volatile environment. So what do you think, Claude? Well, it's a really tough one. Um, You know, I did actually have a small nibble a while back at um, Energy One shares at $5.11. 
Uh, but that was sort of last year before we started to see all this uh, volatility in the quality growth stocks. And you would expect that Energy One being also an illiquid quality growth stock is going to get absolutely wrecked at some point. So at the moment, um, you know, my, well, to cut straight to the chase, my personal sort of buy more target price at the moment based on the current results we have and the information we have is probably closer to $4.50. So I'm, I'm looking a bit lower than that. Um, I think that that chart might be uh, basically a little bit uh, wrong because the stock is so um, illiquid. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's trading at a little bit um, closer to 5.30 at the moment. But uh, essentially, you know, what this company does is they uh, provide uh, software that other companies use to interact with the wholesale electricity market. And then they also provide um, services that allow companies to outsource their interactions with the wholesale electricity market. And that's where you sort of tap into this sort of tailwind with renewable energy, because they've quite deliberately said, look, now we think the time is right. We're really going to try and lean into solving this market need that a new wind farm operator has, they might just only own one wind farm or one solar farm or two or a smaller thing. They might not really be at that scale where they necessarily want to in-house their energy market interactions. And because Energy One has operations in both Australia and in Europe, it can more easily have that 24-7 person at the desk, which is obviously quite expensive for a small wind farm to have somebody 24-7, you know, paying there to be at 4 a.m., you know, doing managing uh, their, their wholesale market interactions. So I think that that makes sense. It makes sense that this company could solve this problem. We don't know that that's going to be successful yet. This is assuming that there is going to be much more, um, you know, distributed renewable energy generation in both Europe and Australia. And of course, they are trying to and look to uh, move into the USA in due course. That will probably involve some kind of acquisition and there's always risk with that. On top of that, these guys are starting to really like back themselves and take a little bit of risk with debt. So they've taken on debt to do this acquisition that um, you know, hypercharges their move into the services market, whereas previously it was mostly them just selling the software. And you know, that always brings risk because if they then can't deliver the profits, then you've got a real bad situation where you've perhaps overpaid for something, you've taken on debt, and that it could really go down. On top of that, there's another risk I'd like to mention, which is that as you have turmoil and volatility with inflation, energy prices going up, I think the chances that we may see some market participants sort of go bankrupt is higher. And that is the typical way Energy One might lose a customer, is if most of the customers they lose, it's because their customer had gone bankrupt. And so, and that's not Energy One's fault, but it's just part of volatility in that market. So there are a few risks. You know, the um, the last report had pretty flat profits. So there's a few, Things you're that you're you could, like not selling me on this, I've got to say. Clark. Yeah, no, well, I just don't want to be- become um, overly bullish yeah. about what is actually my personal largest holding. So like, yes, I obviously have my money where my mouth is. I think it's a really good long-term option, but there are still risks, hence why I kind of think that at some point the share price could go down from here. So wait. Yeah. Wait. What do you think? Um, I agree with that sentiment. I think um, the last result, as Claude said, it was a bit flat after some good steady years. Um, and they've, they've come out and flagged that it'll probably be two, maybe three years before you probably start to see a normalisation of this um, like expansion they're going on into new segments and geographies. Um, but I really like this business. I, I, I don't own it with Meriwether Capital, would have owned it in the past. Um, it's the, the, these guys went from like single digit market share in Australia to about 50% completely organically. Um, 
They then made the decision to go overseas and decided to acquire rather than go organically. And again, I think they've done pretty well in the UK and Europe, in particular the UK. So I, I back them. Um, yeah. I, I agree with Claude. There. I think that's why it's so hard to buy shares. Sorry to interrupt, yeah. Luke. But that's why it's, the share price has gone up because there are people like me that are like, oh yeah, I could see some problems maybe, but I'm not selling. No. Um, and I think there's a lot of people like held. that. And there's a lot of people on the sidelines who, if you see a 10, 15% pullback, they've been sitting there for two, three years waiting to buy this stock. And, exactly. And You've got to jump on it when it does drop. Basic. Mm. Well, I'm going to be jumping on it if it does yeah, drop down to a competition with yeah. with uh, with Luke and perhaps yeah. Um, well, Pat's Claude got the Pat. point. Like if Pat understands his risk tolerance as an investor, and he's a private investor, and you know for a stock that it's difficult for institutions to buy, but if you're an investor who wants to pick up 20 grand as a parcel, you can do that. So yeah. I think it's it's a good one for Pat to look at. I I, agree, I think Claude outlined it perfectly. He knows it obviously very well. Um, but but I just I was just going to say I agree with your point that. Normally, if I see a software business with a services or a consulting segment, I usually it's usually a lower quality business. And, and if you see that's where the growth's coming from, it, 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 you know, you'd rather see the growth in that recurring software. I actually think these guys have come out and given a very rational and a very um, credible argument as to why the services segment will work mm-hmm. well for them. Um, and I think I think Claude outlined it very well. That, and I'll go back to what I was saying about Genus Plus. The decentralisation of this grid means you go from having large, you know, coal-fired plants yeah. being completely your energy generation to these, you know, a region might have a dozen smaller renewable projects, each that require the same software, but just at a much lower scale. And that's where that's where these guys come in. So if you were Pat, you'd wait for a pullback. You'd wait for these markets to fall back further, yeah, explode, but, implode. But whatever. I think it makes sense to follow the company and understand it. Like, mm. So I write about it quite a lot on, on a Rich Life website just because I think it's a great one to follow. And if mm-hmm. you just follow these high quality businesses, it increases the chance that you will spot it when there is a great opportunity to buy. Got it. Thanks, guys. So Luke, I'm going to put you down as a hold, but watch list. All right, LaVisa for Jamie. No context here, so let's get right to it. Uh, look, we know what they sell. It's in the retail space. We had some retail data coming through today, a little bit softer than some expectations, but the volumes, you know, it, it seems as if we're still willing to spend, even as we talk about rising prices. And I wonder, in these periods, Luke, if buying yourself a you know, cheap set of earrings, even if you can't afford other things, you know, might be a little pick-me-up as well. Well, I mean, you look at their latest trading updates and they haven't been hit like some other retailers, so there might be something to that theory. Um, I, I was late coming to the LaVissa story and the way I've consoled myself with that is because I'm not their target market. So <laughs> I, I sort of, for a long time, late. thought this was just a fad product and, and, you know, yeah, you've got a few stores in Australia, but where do you really go? Um, I actually did come around to it a few years ago um, and... It was more accepting that, okay, I'm not, I'm not their target market, I'll never understand the brand, but if you just take a step back and look at the economics of this business, you combine three very powerful things for a retailer, which is very high gross margins, a very um, high inventory turnover rate, and a very low store footprint. And when you combine those three things, like it's almost the perfect recipe for a retailer. Um, mm. It's completely a US growth story now. Um, you look at their, they did a presentation, I think to Macquarie conference a few weeks ago. They've opened up a handful of stores in most regions, UK, um, mm-hmm. France, Germany. They opened 38 in the US, FY22 year to date. So it's it's a clearly, the growth is all in the US. 
you look at just a rough you know population between Australia and the US they couldn't have you know a thousand maybe 1500 stores in the US from a hundred today that's the that's the bullish and that's you know where the share price has been in the past it sort of come off a little bit I would probably temper that a little bit just to say that I think Levis has done very well in Australia so at 150 stores in Australia if you look at the UK France Germany some of the other larger countries in the world They've sort of tapered off. The UK actually closed stores this year. I think France had six open. Germany only had three. Yeah. So I'd sort of hesitate to say, guns blazing, let's just lock in a thousand stores in the US over the next five years. But as long as that momentum is there, and I think you've got very good operators who won't just throw cash at it for the sake of it. They're obviously very you know careful about how mm-hmm. they expand. Um, so I can make a case for in five years' time, if they do have, let's say, a 1,000 stores in the US, this is cheap today. Like Share price is down close to 27% year to date. But that's arguably good compared to a lot of retailers. Yeah, <laughs> so that's the thing. So yeah, is it a buy? It's like 80%. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is, it a, is it a buy or do you wait well, again? It goes back to my point. I think it's, it's really hard to say because so much of it's baked on that future growth. And I think right now it looks like it is steadily on that track and it's coming through. Um, I hate, you know, I'd love to be here, sit here, be definitive with you, Nadine, but I actually think it's a genuine hold in the sense of I just need to see that US probably another half or two. Um, it just feels like, I think they said they're in 20 something states. And, and we know, like, you see retailers in the US, yeah. it's so regional based that, like, if you can start to crack the different regions, then, you know, it's almost sky's the limit. So it, it sounds like they're really close to it. I'd just love to see them get there. But it's not excessively expensive for if they can crack that US market. Okay, Claude, do you agree with your mate here or disagree? I, I slightly disagree. I won't uh, take a lot of time on this one because he's uh, covered it so well. Um, look, I would just say that I think this is the kind of company you want to buy for the dividend yield. Uh, because ultimately, everything Luke said is true, but he just left out one thing, which is that one day somebody else can just start a business called Levisa 2, and that will reduce the margins they can achieve. And that hasn't happened yet, and fair enough, and good on them, and long may it last. Um, but if somebody really starts to bring it to them, matching them in the exact same category, then it loses all of the, some of those advantages as a retailer. And so I say buy it for the dividend yield. Dividend yield, trailing dividend yield, about 2.4% right now, probably too low for me. So. I'd be a bit more closer to the sell, basically. Of course, if you're a long-term oriented shareholder who loves to just buy and hold, then you could mm-hmm. hold. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I know this guy isn't really your sort of area of expertise, but there is a store that's very comparable to Levisa called Claire's. It's yeah. listed, um, but it does the same mm-hmm. thing, but I always go into a Levisa. I don't know why. And they've done both of my child's ear piercings. So, you know, everybody yeah. gets their so preference. So there you go. See, but if, I, I'm guessing a fair few people don't know that either. So if there is more competition coming, I'd say that's a slight I negative. I think Claire's was there I, beforehand. I find LaVissa, like just from the outside, like as we just said, it's not our thing. In, the, in their presentation, they bring 100 new products to market every fortnight. Like yeah. to me, that boggles my mind. Yeah, well, yeah, go go have a look around. Yeah. And also see how much gets I definitely think it's one. Yeah. It's on my list to buy in a recession. Like I can't believe how, how hard that got hit in, uh, maybe not in a recession, but in a market crash. Because I feel like it will be very resilient mm-hmm. and rebound. Okay, that's LaVisa. Let's move on, guys. Peer profile for Kit. Turnaround story continues after a poor historical performance. In his view, revenue is already more than last financial year in the first three quarters of this year, aiming approximately 40% growth. EBITDA on track for over $4 million this year, taking a bit of an FX hit in the last quarter. So what are your thoughts on this one, Luke? Peer profile. 
Um, this is one that I own with Meriwether Capital. Not a, not a huge position, just a, a smaller one. Um, Kit obviously knows it well. It's a, it's a turnaround story. It's in that um, sort of um, personalised marketing space. So they have consumers yeah. complete surveys and, and build out um, profiles. So that's in the name. Um, it's, it's growing very strongly and growing strongly overseas as well, particularly UK and Europe. Um, profitable growth. Now, I, I will note their preferred measure is EBITDA, um, which normally I'm not a, you know, I'm not totally opposed to, but in this case, they exclude some share-based payments. In FY22, that's pretty substantial. They gave the CEO and the CFO um, a decent um, compensation package. Um, I actually, well, I, I guess hope more than anything, that was a bit of a one-off uh, because they've come in, turned the business around. It helps give them some alignment to the business sort of upfront, I guess. Um, it also just incentivizes them now to stay. So hopefully we see that normalize and EBITDA becomes a better measure moving forward. Um, you know, it trades about 14 times. Again, I'm excluding those share-based payments, mm-hmm. which you know, grant me that, um, which not too bad for the growth you're getting. Um, Look, yeah, it's just, it, it, it's from where this business has come from, um, it, it was essentially broke, um, recapped at a much lower level, did a very good job turning it around. So, you know, back the management team to continue to do that and grow um, and sort of manage those profits. Um, you know, I think you'll see the lumpiness in the profits just for where they are, but, um, you know, remain profitable as they grow, which is important. Uh, so for the, this is one that I did own and then sold after the most recent quarterly. And I think we've got a little chart of the underlying a bit uh, um, that sort of tells a story of why I decided to exit. There you go. So you can see like last March quarter was weak as well, but so was this one. Basically no growth on the ma- uh, last March quarter. And look, that was partly to do with the FX thing that uh, Luke mentioned. So perhaps it's a slightly unfair comparison, but I think it does, if nothing else, just show you how smallest changes in the business, especially at the top line, could lead to like quite large uh, fluctuations in the profit. Now, essentially... The other objection that I have with, um, I guess, like a lot of the way the company presents itself is it's very uh, focused on revenue growth and a bit underlying a bit growth, which excludes share-based payments. And now I've been on the show before and sort of said why I don't like that as a measure regarding this particular company. When I was a shareholder, well, the last quarterly was like the last drill for me. I was like, no, nah, I'm going to sell. I, I wrote about it on the website. I said I was going to sell. I did sell. Um, I'm going to sit on the sidelines now. I'm not interested in buying this company until they actually shift their mindset to start talking about net profit after tax. Um, if they can be a net profit after tax story and then still have that turnaround story, then I think it could be like really interesting. But I just don't like the ethos of underlying a bit done. It's just too, no, I'm not going to do it. So for me, unfortunately, it is a sell. I think the company needs to level up. It's not, it's... It is a company that has needed to be recapitalized, right? It has gone basically almost, hasn't, but almost bankrupt before. You guys need to focus on net profit after tax. That's that simple. Mm. Right um, of reply. Oh, no, I agree <laughs> with that. I, I, you know, I sort of consider that point as well. My, I, I think- There'll be a lot of upside. If it does what yeah. I said, and then by the time it actually starts reporting that, I'll have missed heaps of share price upside. So there's still an argument to be You're made. Be comfortable with that though, because that's um, the other thing. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think this this quarter in FY22 as a whole, I, well, I think the share-based payments will be um, an outlier. Um, they've given the CEO and the CFO a nice package, which, you know, I, I'm not totally opposed to, because I think they have a very, done a very good job since coming in. You'd love to see them you know, buy a good chunk on market as well as get yeah. a, a package, but it is what it is. Um, but, but Claude's right, and I think like, 
not only Claude having that view, the market's got that view now. Like we, we've come from a couple of years where share-based payments didn't exist as far mm-hmm. as the market was concerned. And now all of a sudden, well, not all of a sudden, we know the reasons why, but the market's suddenly saying, well, no, these are real expenses to your business and you, know, you can't exclude them from your reporting or, or the way you think about your business. So I, it's a very fair criticism. Um, it's you know just one that I, I've, I'm including that in my analysis and think that this I think it's a reasonable risk. To t- it's a reasonable risk to take because by the time what I'm trying to see happens, then there'll be upside mm-hmm. in the share price. So it depends whether you want to like try and capture that or not. Basically. Got it. Yeah. All right, guys, we'll move on from that. Let's get to PTB Group for Brendan. No details on whether he already owns it, whether he wants to own it, but. Uh, what do you think of the company? So I think it used to be called Pacific Turbines. Um, Claude, I'll start with you. Right, so I think this is one we both follow and I do own shares in it. And it's really one of my favorite um, ideas at the moment just because I think there's something beautiful about the small cap that's around this sort of size. It's a little bit too small for many funds to take an interest in. It has a boring name that sort of tells you nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of a bit of a quiet achiever really. So. What these guys do is essentially their core business is, um, you know, repairs and maintenance and leasing of the PT6 and TPE um, ter- uh, th- 331 uh, turboprop engines. It's a mouthful. I can never remember those names. Um, but basically, you know, in the last uh, half, it had um, revenue of 55.6 million and a profit of about 6 million. So we're talking about a company that can do net profit margins of around 10%. So yeah, decent quality business, right? And I think that, you know, the reason that it can do decent margins in, I guess, in this sort of industrial business is that there's quite a bit of expertise involved in being able to maintain and provide workshopping and having the knowledge and trust and regulatory approvals to maintain these engines. So it's not that easy for you to just, you know, talking about someone can set up another LaVisa if they source the stuff from wherever, but you can't just do that so easily with these guys. And not least because you need to prove to all the regulators in all the individual companies, countries rather, that you can be trusted. And for example, the knowledge required to maintain these engines that are exposed to high amounts of salt water as per in the Maldives where they have a big bit of business, um, that's very specific knowledge. And so, yeah, there's probably more of a little moat here than I ever first realised when I looked at this stock first years ago. And so that sort of helped get me across the board on that. And then I guess the second bull port, I'm sorry, I'm probably stealing this one from you, Luke, because I'm sure you would have said the same thing. But um, look, these guys have been doing a few guidance upgrades. So yeah, really, I saw one just last month. Yeah, so it implies that you know, business is going fairly well uh, for them at the moment. And I think based on the most recent um, up, upgrade, you know, you could argue that you know, it's, it's making somewhere and it probably can sustainably make at least sort of 10 cents earnings per share, and that might even be conservative, but at least it's bumping around that level. Share price of um, you know, less than $1.20 puts this on a fairly low PE multiple, um, also should get like a half decent uh, dividend yield while you wait. So it just seems like a classic growth at a reasonable price. And you know, I've been trying to buy it a little bit lower than current prices, but even at current prices, I think it's quite reasonable. I wouldn't go all in right now. But I think it's actually potential to buy even even and now with the caveat being that, you know, I'm kind of, I have think I bought it actually at similar prices to now, but my average price is lower. Okay. So is this going to be our first double buy of this Friday session? Yeah, it will, because I've, I've bought around these prices too, not, not too long ago. Um, 
Yeah, they, they upgraded guidance, which pretty much says it all, because I can't think of many industrial businesses mm-hmm. that have upgraded recently. Um, it was the 21st of April. Yeah, so Claude outlined it very well. I actually went up to Brisbane last month to the, to really? the workshop up there. Yeah, nice. and um, it's Claude's right. Like, Give us the insights. Yeah. yeah, well, no, I mean, you walk in and, and there's, you know, plane engines getting, you know, taken apart and, and clean, like clean service and put back together. Yeah. Like. And it's a world that I have absolutely no concept of, but you can, it's clear that these guys do. And, what was the vibe there? <laughs> oh, no, like they're very, very positive on their business. Yeah, cool. um, and they've got, they've got a few good drivers for growth. So I agree with Claude. Like it, it, it's cheap just on a traditional like classic earnings basis, which I know we don't talk about much anymore. Um, but, but it will give you growth as well. Like maybe that sort of 20 to 30% growth moving forward. Um, the CEO is based over in the US now. That's that's the big driver for them. Yeah. Like, I think 50% of the engine, like Claude rattled off the, PT, uh, <laughs> yeah. whatever engine it was, Good luck remembering 50% of them are in the US, so that's the, the big market. Yeah. yeah, well, they've got an operational footprint in Arizona, Texas, Florida, and uh, Pennsylvania. Yeah, so some of them are organic, some of them they've acquired. Um, and so the CEO even was sort of saying to us that he had to get over there and there's a few cultural things that he wanted to tidy up and, and get done, but he's working on that and slowly getting through it. And what's your view of management? Because I haven't actually met them. I've talked to them on emails a little bit mm. before and they seem oh, really, very good. Oh, really good. I mean, they're, they're the classic industrial microcap management where they're not market savvy, um, you know, and, and they'll just tell it like it is. But you can just tell they know their businesses inside out and, and you get really good insight from them, you know, if you can ask the right questions. So, no, I, I came away really positive um, from, from that trip. So I, I got a hat too, which is not so nice. <laughs> Um, Bring it yeah, in next so, time. No, it's a buy from me. I, I think it. Claude outlined it very well. It's that perfect growth at a reasonable price, I think, is a very good way to put it. Perfect growth, reasonable price. We like it. All right, you guys take a bit of a break. I'll run us through what we've learned so far today. And the stock of the day was an idea given the change in government. And Genis Plus, GNP, is Luke's. Look, he doesn't own it. He would like more trading history. But uh, given there's a mandate on climate change, this is one way that we could play it, essentially, see some upside there. The one that Claude really wanted to pick was Energy One, but he came through with Gen X, GNX. He doesn't own it again. It's specky. It's got to spend up to achieve its goals, but it's one that you could watch given the change in a general environment towards uh, what's happening here on an energy front. Ramsey Healthcare, first on the list for Live. It's a buy from my guest, Claude Walker from A Rich Life. He's doing so for the takeover arbitrage. If you're looking for a bellwether te- uh, healthcare stock, Luke says go for CSL or Cochlear. Energy One, look, Luke really likes this one. Obviously, it's his biggest holding, but he says wait. Uh, keep an eye on it, but you might be able to get it cheaper. Also, very illiquid. Um, and Luke says it's just a classic hold. The last result was pretty flat, but again, keep your eye on it. Levisa, both gents think that, look, the, gov- the, the government, the company's done very well executing. Luke wants a little bit more proof in the pudding when it comes to this U.S. rollout, so it's a hold for him. And Claude says, look, if anything, it's a buy for the dividend yield. Is it a buy now, Levisa? Uh, no, not no, for me. No, no, no. no for um, he it's wouldn't be buying it himself moment. yet. Okay, so now let's get to Pure Profile. It is a sell for Claude. This is where we get a real um, differing of opinion because he just was really disappointed with its quarterly. You need to look for the net profit line. Luke actually holds this in Meriwether Capital, um, but he does say it's a turnaround story. He wouldn't be buying it now. It's a hold for him. And then last on that 
list PTB group for Brendan. It's a buy from both of my guests. You heard why, but uh, both really endorsing the story. And uh, Luke's chatted with management, which I'm told, especially in smaller companies, is so important, you know, and that's where you really get more detail. I mean, on the big cap side of things, the uh, CEOs won't give anything away to, you know, individual fundies. But when you go and speak with some of these CEOs as a small cap investor, I think sometimes you would you agree you get oh, for sure. you get more. There, I've said this before that you they often just love talking about their businesses. Yeah, <laughs> they don't get it very often because they're really you know? into it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's okay, it's usually their lifeblood. Great. All right. Uh, so that is the list that we've gone through. Um, look, we are tracking the High Conviction Fund, as you know, picked by the Investment Committee, which meets next week again. So let's check in at where we are for this portfolio. We've got Tabcorp, Domino's, Ardent Leisure, Tyro. We did shift the original allocations and cash holding size. So we'll see what comes from this meeting next week. But I do know that PTB Group will be put to them. So far, the fund is down 4.5% on a cumulative return basis since its inception on March the 1st. If you would like us to cover a stock to put it to the investment committee, if it makes it through this first filter, you can do so by emailing us at the call. Or you can also tweet to us at TV. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at website. We're back and next up Little Green Pharma followed by News Corp, Kit McGrath, Elsidian and Mater MAD. So let's get right to it for Jeff. He's saying, could I trouble you? Yes, you can for your thoughts on the two most frustrating stocks he owns. He bought News Corp and Little Green Pharma repeatedly over the past 12 to 18 months, each time off the back of what he thought were pretty good announcements. But prices have keep, kept falling down around 40% is his losses. So he's, he's, he's wondering if he's misunderstanding something fundamental about both of those companies. So we'll go through them one by one. Let's start with Little Green Pharma. So LGP Luke. So the pot stocks, I feel as if they've never really lived up in terms of share price performance to the fanfare in which they came to market. Yeah, that was actually one of my comments here. I, I, I haven't really looked at the space, I must admit, since when was that, 2017, 2018, the, the massive boom. Um, it was even obvious back then it was always going to be a commodity product um, relatively easy to produce and so businesses were always going to really struggle to carve out niches for themselves um, it's also a victim of the current market I mean I went and had a look at the last update like big operating losses like lost nine million dollars in the last quarter still got a bit of cash in the bank 20 mil from memory um, but but those sorts of businesses have just been taken out the back and, and shot so Look, um, Jeff, I think his name was, um, got an interesting portfolio with these two. They're very, you know, right on the opposite side yeah, of the spectrum. Yeah. For me, LGP's a pretty easy sell. I, I think, you know, it's not, obviously not the right environment, but even from that point of view, like, I just don't think it's a it's an industry or a business that you could look at five years from now and say, this is how they're going to carve out a strong niche for themselves with mm -hmm. solid little profit margins and, and, and what it may be. It's, it will just always be heavy competition, very capital intensive. So that's a sell for LGP. I guess one thing, Claude, that you must take into consideration is that your thesis, your original thesis can be wrong. And yeah. so you can pull the plug or you should pull the plug potentially on these companies that yeah, you've, you've got wrong. 
Yes, so definitely. And I think when it comes to something like Little Green Pharma, so that's like a loss-making company in um, a, a sector that Niche, was yeah. was very hyped up. You know, the share prices got very high uh, for a while, but then they sort of passed out and, and it's been down ever since. And I think that's the kind of company you sh- I would just never be... Uh, continually adding to. So the only sensible thesis I could think of for something like Little Green Pharma is essentially like, you know, this is losing a lot of money. It's in a new novel area that's heavily regulated. Most companies don't make a profit. Your best bet really is that like you're buying now, it's going to have top line growth, but still won't be profitable. And that's going to get everybody excited and somebody else is going to pay an even higher price than you bought it for just based on excitement and sociology. I mean, people buy NFTs for $100,000, you know, like it's it's not, you can make money selling to, you know, the the proverbial greater fool. But if that's your thesis, you've got to, um, you can't just keep buying down in it because then you're the greater fool. You need to just be like, all right, I'm buying this now. I reckon it's going to get hyped up and then I can sell it. Mm -hmm. And that's a hard way to make money. Like I'm not going to say I'm some saint that's never tried to do that. But it's a hard way to make money because if you miss the opportunity to sell, then you get sort of caught in this position. If you were Jeff, would you sell now? I would, your I would sell now. Like there's, it's kind of, it's a tough thing to play, but I just sort of say one and done with that. You give yourself one shot at getting it right. And then other than that, I would never be averaging down into a loss making company. What about News Corp? Because he's just as equally as disappointed in News Corp. Very different yeah, scenario. Yeah, so there. I mean, News Corp is less of a, uh, terrible option because it has the potential to make profits and pay dividends but as with Levisa when you're talking unless there's like a strong secular or long-term growth narrative for a company I think you really for me anyway I'm trying to look at okay how much money is that company going to pay me so that's where I'm going to be look at the dividend yield and not the earnings and there are certain companies that like Dicker Data, which I own shares in, which like religiously pays out 100% of its earnings in a dividend yield. So I would pay a much higher multiple and have for, for um, Dicker Data than I would for News Corporation because I trust them to pay me all the profits every year. So yeah, with this one, basically, I don't trust them to always just give the shareholders you know, their due. So its PE ratio might be like reasonable, but its dividend yield is quite low. And so I would, ju- I would just sell it because I don't have a thesis. Like long term, this is not a great secular growth stock in my view. It's in, it has a lot of uh, good assets, but it has some assets that aren't so good and probably losing um, relevancy. So I would leave it and I would sell it as well. But it's not so bad. Luke, quickly on News Corp. Yeah, look, I agree with all that. Um, it's, it's just a big conglomerate, right? Like, and, and they never have all their segments firing at once. There's always good segments, bad segments. I looked at the last update. Um, the revenue growth was okay, but almost, um, almost every segment had margins falling, which I sort of read through a little bit, but there's sort of been like, it wasn't just like one overall reason. There was a lot of different moving factors. Foxtel continues to be a challenge for them with the competition in streaming. Um, the big, my, my biggest comment on News Corp is you see people talk about all the time as a sum of the parts breakup. I mean, this is a um, empire building conglomerate, like family run. I, I, I can't see them ever breaking it up for shareholder value. I think it's it's much more, you know, it serves a greater purpose as a conglomerate than mm-hmm. just for shareholder value. So, look, I'd, I'd probably hold it, to be honest. Okay. Like, if you own it, you know, 
for whatever reason you own it, I don't think that thesis is broken. It's just not my sort of stock, okay. to be honest. Look, let's move on to Kit McGraw Education because that takes care of number six and seven. So this is for Albert, no context, K-M-E. Luke. So this is my sort of stock, I own it. Um, I, I picked it when we gave our, I think they were called the Christmas crackers at the back yeah, end of last year. Yeah, I do remember that. So that was my pick. Um, I'll keep this pretty brief and um, Albert who wrote it in, um, jump on to merryweathercapital.com.au. I've actually got a write-up on Kit McGrath which pretty much outlines you know, everything I would say here today. But for the sake of time, I'll keep it brief. I just think there's a lot of ways for this business to win over the next couple of years. Um, and the valuation you're paying today, I think is pretty downside protected, pretty reasonable. So still a, still a buy from me around this dollar share price for okay. sure. Okay, and would you be buying Kit McGrath today it is a dollar, you know, on the dot. I think I actually have paid around current prices. I think sort of 90 cents to a dollar range is the, is the time where I sort of consider this a buy right now. I do own shares in it. Mm -hmm. um, I probably would buy it around a dollar, just a little bit though. It's a small uh, cap company. Uh, it's a little company, it's a liquid company. Uh, look, basically, you may be aware of the Tudor network, which is in Australia. Yep. You may not be aware that it also has the similar tutoring network in the UK. Mm. It's also entering the US through um, Tutorfly, which is sort of a different business model um, that is gotten into schools, I think, in Arizona. And so it's um, basically, it's a tutoring business, but it's more like, I think that schools in Arizona are trying to use private tutors to catch up kids who have fallen behind in the pandemic. So that is a sort of short-term thing that could be an upside, but like, I don't think that can kill the company, for example, if it doesn't work out. And meantime, you know, the longer-term story here is uh, Storm, the current CEO, is the son of the founders. He has put it more to a revenue share organisation um, rather than a flat franchise fee. So it is franchises. Um, still and that has aligned the group better and then he's also being the buyer for those franchisees who want to sell as some of them do as they retire and then he's trying to make it a store-owned network as well and that store-owned network is key to it because that has dampened profits as they built that up but it's getting to the point where he sort of says now it's starting to be a bit depositive in the next couple of years that should stop being a drag on profits and then we should see profits go up quite strongly. Yep. You agree? That okay, that's a double buy. Next on the list is Alcidian ALC. This is for Casey. She says, tech dive, is it time to buy? It's biotech, right? And and it, biotechs do not uh, perform. It's more software. Is it more software? Yeah, again. Yeah, I've actually yeah. spoken with the CEO. Apologies. Uh, they use the data to help improve outcomes in hospital settings and situations. But it does get lumped in with biotechs. Yeah, and sure. to the point, it does get sold off. Well, it's we healthcare these, tech, that's yeah, for certain. Yeah, and it does get... Um, sold off when we start to see these tech names getting sold off as we do with biotechs as well. So it sounds like you know the company well. Yeah, yes, And I you do. like it. Yeah, so I always write about this one because it's in my favorite little intersection of healthcare and, and tech. Yep. And um, it has, you know, done a lot to grow its business both organically and through acquisition over the years. So if you've gone into hospital, it's quite possible in Australia, especially in, um, I think, you know, certain Sydney areas and also in, um, I think Northern Territory was where they started out. Basically, 
their software could have helped um, manage, you know, the the nurses knowing who it's, needs It's managing what. treatment, so it reduces risk and it's... Yeah, exactly. So it's having something that says, oh, this person's had this test yeah. result. So the next step in the flow is you need yeah. to then get the doctor to look at that test result and that doctor needs to actually take some action based on that test result. Because what you have in reality when it's all paper-based is somebody, the doctor can come and order the test and then they do the test and the test results come back saying, take yeah. action, but nobody see, there's no alert that says, hey, yeah. now you have to do the next Just step. to move it along as well, they're moving into the UK and they've had a lot of success in the UK. Yeah. So based on uh, where we're seeing it at 14 cents per share today, would you buy it or again, would you wait for a time that maybe you have a really bad you know, performance on the NASDAQ? I have a little bit and I would potential buy, potentially buy a little bit at current prices. The only reason I haven't been buying is just because this gets lumped in, as you said, with all the loss making tech kind of stuff. And as a result, it's just the, the macro is really against it. But yes, I actually do think that at the current prices, this is going to be worth a fair bit more in the future. Um, the big point to watch is they've said FY 2023, break even year or small. Mm -hmm. Um, positive situation there. So they really need to deliver on that. If they don't deliver on that, then that'll be bad. If they do, I reckon the share is going to trade a fair bit higher. Would you buy it today, Luke? Um, I'm definitely more interested today. I've always thought this is one that was really expensive for what it was. And, and maybe that's because it's that healthcare tech, which as Claude said, is a very attractive space to play. Um, I think now they made an acquisition in the UK for 55 million. And you look at their current market cap, about 170 odd. Um, they, I think they paid a lot for that acquisition and it's a very strategic acquisition. If you look at the financials alone, you'd say they like well and truly overpaid. Yeah. So I just need to see them really start to drive those synergies. Now, the, the, the easy argument is they acquired um, 18 NHS customers over in the UK, which they didn't have products with originally. So that gives them a foot in the door to go to these other health trusts and try and upsell their, their other modules. So I can see the logic. I've, I've never spoken to her one-on-one, -on -one, but I've seen Kate Quirk, I think her name is, present a few times. I think she has a very good understanding of what she wants to do with this business. Um, I just need to see a little bit more execution. That, that break-even is probably a big one as well, um, because it has run at a loss for a while. But it's one, like, you know, 40 to 14 cents in that, as Claude says, it's such a lucrative place to play, such sticky software. It's one you have to keep an eye on at these levels for sure. I think it was definitely too expensive and I've probably paid too high a price for this in the past, but I'm definitely not giving up on it yet. Mm. <laughs> All right, and uh, respect for the CEO, Kate Crook. Yeah, look, yeah. I just, you have to look at the long-term history yeah. since she took over. This was yeah. really struggling when she took over. She's delivered on a lot. She's made cogent acquisitions. If she left, I would probably be a bit worried. Ah, cool, got it. All right, guys, last on the list is Matter Group, M-A-D. This is for Niall, again, no context. Uh, hit me, Luke. Um, yeah, so these guys are like mechanics yeah. for, for big trucks, um, very exposed to the resources cycle. So I think it's, you know... Isn't it also founder-led? Founder-led, yeah. yeah. Um, I think Mate is the last name. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? <laughs> you jumped in. Um, oh, sorry. If, no, sorry. If you're, we're talking about um, the ESG election thematics before. If that's yep. your style of investing, of like you see a thematic and you want an exposure, I'd actually look at these guys if you want that sort of resources exposure. Your traditional mining services, talking about them before, your fixed cost 
con contractors and construction businesses, I wouldn't touch them. They're like, we're just seeing these downgrades from these input cost pressures um, on the on these large fixed price contracts. It's it's not a place to be. These guys are very much that service maintenance. Um, you know, they've got some guidance out in the market. It's not cheap, about 19 times earnings, and I fear that you're probably paying an elevated multiple on some elevated earnings. But there's a lot of things to like about it. They've got some good structural growth trying to go into the US and Canada. You've got the founder-led business. I think they run it very conservatively. Um, from the outside looking in, it looks like they've got a very good culture built up within that business, which is always what you want to see for a services business. Um, it's probably a, a little, a, a touch too expensive for me to say buy. Just on that 19 times earnings, if I could get that at maybe 14 or 15, I'd be, I'd be really interested. Um, but otherwise, if you're there, I'd, I'd continue to hold it for sure. It's not a, it's not a, mm -hmm. you know, it's definitely not a bad business. Um, and you know, I looked at their last presentation from where they've come in a very short period of time, like four or five years. Mm -hmm. um, they've done a really good job. So, yeah, very interesting one if you're after that more resources thematic. Recently stuck with its guidance, it looks like it'll be delivering a forecast net profit after tax of $24 million. Yeah, so I reckon this one is definitely one for the watch list. Um, now there's a couple of reasons why I find it really interesting. So first of all, and this is the key one, it is more in maintenance mm -hmm. rather than the setup so, of yeah. a mine. So that's just music to my ears because a lot of the mining services companies have these like really big roller coasters based on whether there are new mines or not. So these guys are maintenance. That also means that they more just need repair tools and Toyota Hiluxes rather than all of this super expensive like digger equipment or, or drills or whatever it is. So that I like it less capital intensive. That's good. Um, maintenance also becomes more important in an inflationary environment where the cost of replacing the whatever it is goes up. You want to make it last as long as possible. So there's a few things that I think maybe definitely justify why this should trade at a premium to other mining services companies. Definitely one for the watch list. I would call it a hold right now. Mm -hmm. Similar thoughts as Luke on the price. Having said that, um, also the long-term history of this, how it's grown quite organically for very many years makes me think that it is quite possible the founder is really someone to watch and, and maybe someone to back. Okay. Guys, thank you. Let me just run us through what we've learned. Unfortunately, Jeff, it looks like you've got yourself in a bit of a pickle with Little Green Pharma, but both of my guests are saying you should sell, cut your losses. Uh, Luke calls News Corp less terrible of the two, which is not a ringing endorsement, and he would sell it as well. Luke says, look, hold News Corp. There could be something in it still for you. When it comes to Kit McGraw, both of these guys own it. Um, both of them would buy it today. So it's a buy from both, but Luke's, uh, sorry, Claude just says buy a little bit at a time. There's no need to go in whole hog. Alcidian, again, uh, uh, Claude, sorry, Claude really likes this one. He owns it. He would buy it at current prices. I think that Luke's a bit concerned that it's overpaid for a recent acquisition. He's probably going to wait, uh, you know, potentially for any sort of a more significant pullback, which you could get because, as we mentioned, exposed to that sort of tech thematic and biotechs for the record. Anyways, Matter Group, Matter Group, however you say it, is a hold from both of my guests, and you just heard why. Well, what a pleasure to have you both in studio. Claude Walker from A Rich Life, Luke Winchester from Merriweather Capital. Like, welcome back anytime, yeah. as you know, and uh, we look forward to doing it again. Thanks and for having me. For you out there, um, any stocks you'd like covered, I've said it already. The call at ausbiz.com today. You remember, this is just information only, it's not advice specific to your own financial circumstances, so please do your own research and get advice if necessary.